This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the one-year Bible reading for July 4th. Happy Independence Day, everyone. We read the great um, account yesterday of Josiah finding the book of the law and encouraging people to return in repentance to the Lord and to his ways. And uh, last time we had his death and the reigning of his son, Jehoahaz. So beginning in 2 Kings 23, 31. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Hamital, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho put Jehoahaz in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath to prevent him from ruling in Jerusalem. He also demanded that Judah paid 75,000 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold as a tribute. Pharaoh Necho then installed Eliakim, another of Josiah's sons, to reign in place of his father, and he changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Jehoiahaz was taken to Egypt as a prisoner where he died. In order to get gold demanded as tribute by Pharaoh Necho, Jehoiakim collected a tax from the people of Judah, requiring them to pay in proportion to their wealth. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah from Rumah. He was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded the land of Judah. Jehoiakim surrendered and paid him tribute for three years, but then revolted. Then the Lord sent bands of Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against Judah to destroy it, just as the Lord had promised through his prophets. These disasters happened to Judah according to the Lord's command. He had decided to remove Judah from his presence because of the many sins of Manasseh. He had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive this. The rest of the events in Jehoiakim's reign and all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. When Jehoiakim died, his son uh, Jehoiachin became the next king. The, next, the king of Egypt never returned after that, for the king of Babylon occupied that entire area formerly claimed by Egypt, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan from Jerusalem. Jehoiachin did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. During Jehoiachin's reign, the officers of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up against Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar himself arrived at the city during the siege. Then King Jehoiachin, along with his advisors, nobles, and officials, and the queen mother, surrendered to the Babylonians. In the eighth year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he took Jehoi Jehoiachin prisoner. 
As the Lord had said beforehand, Nebuchadnezzar carried away all the treasures from the Lord's temple and the royal palace. They cut apart all the gold vessels that King Solomon of Israel had placed in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar took 10,000 captives from Jerusalem, including all the princes and the best of the soldiers, craftsmen, and smiths. Only the poorest people were left in the land. And it's interesting to note, because we're going to read this book uh, in a little while, that Daniel was taken during that, um, that time. Nebuchadnezzar led, to King Jehoiachin, uh, led King Jehoiachin away as a captive to Babylon, along with his wives and officials, the queen mother, and all Jerusalem's elite. He took 7,000 of the best troops and 1,000 craftsmen and smiths, all of whom were strong and fit for war. Then the king of Babylon installed Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, as the next king, and he changed Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. But Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. So the Lord, in his anger, finally banished the people of Jerusalem and Judah from his presence and sent them into exile. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and built siege ramps against its walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. By July 18th of Zedekiah's 11th year, the famine in the city had become very severe, with the last of the food entirely gone. Then a section of the city wall was broken down, and all the soldiers made plans to escape from the city. But since the city was surrounded by the Babylonians, they waited for nightfall and fled through the gate between the two walls behind the king's gardens. They made a dash across the fields in the direction of the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonians chased after them and caught the king on the plains of Jericho, for by then his men had all abandoned him. They brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where the sentence was passed against him. The king of Babylon made Zedekiah watch as all his sons were killed. Then they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. On August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, an official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings of the city. Then the captain of the guard supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, then took as exiles those who remained in the city. This was the second group of exiles taken, along with the rest of the people, the troops who had declared their allegiance to the king of Babylon. But the captain of the guard allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind in Judah to take care of the vineyards and the fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the bronze water carts, and the bronze sea that were all at the Lord temple, and they carried all the bronze away for, to Babylon. They also took all the pots, shovels, lamp snuffers, dishes, and all the other bronze utensils used for making sacrifices at the temple. 
Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, also took the firepans and basins and all the other utensils made of pure gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the water carts and the sea was too great to be weighed. These things had been made for the Lord's temple in the days of King Solomon. Each of the pillars was 27 feet tall. The bronze capital on top of each pillar was seven and a half feet high and was decorated with a network of bronze pomegranates all the way around. The captain of the guard took with him as prisoners, Sariah, the chief priest, his assistant, Zephaniah, and the three chief gatekeepers. And of the people still hiding in the city, he took an officer of the Judean army, five of the king's personal advisors, the army commander's chief secretary, who was in charge of recruitment, and 60 other citizens. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And there at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king of Babylon had them all put to death. So the people of Judah were sent into exile from their land. Then King Nebuchadnezzar appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, and grandson of Shaphan, as governor over the people left in Judah. When all the army commanders and their men learned that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah as governor, they joined him at Mitzpah. These included Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Jonanan, son of Kareah, Sarai, son of Tamhometh, the Netophanite, and Jaazaniah, son of the Maacathite, and all their men. Gedaliah vowed to them that the Babylonian officials meant them no harm. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and, we, and all will go well for you, he promised. But in mid-autumn of that year, Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, and grandson of Elishama, who was of the royal family, went to Mitzpah with ten men and assassinated Gedaliah and everyone with him, both the Judeans and the Babylonians. Then all the people from Judah, from the least to the greatest, as well as the army commanders, fled in panic to Egypt, for they were afraid of what the Babylonians would do to them. In the 37th year of King Jehoiachin's exile in Babylon, evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoiachin and released him from prison on April 2nd of that year. He spoke, he spoke pleasantly to Jehoiachin and gave him preferential treatment over all other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied Jehoiachin with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allowed him to dine at the king's table for the rest of his life. The Babylonian king also gave him a regular allowance to cover his living expenses until the day of his death. Acts 22, 17, we're joining Paul as he is addressing the crowds in Jerusalem. One day after I, Paul, returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't believe you when you give them your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that I imprisoned and beat those in every synagogue who believed in on you. And when your witness Stephen was killed, I was standing there agreeing. I kept the coats they laid aside as they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, leave Jerusalem for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. 
The crowd listened until Paul came to that word. Then with one voice they shouted, Away with such a fellow! Kill him! He isn't fit to live! They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. As they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? The officer went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. But I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard that he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day, the commander freed Paul from his chains and ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin. He had brought Paul in before them to try to find out what all the trouble was about. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God in all good conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those cl close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. God will slap you, you whitewashed wall, Paul said to him. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, is that the way to talk to God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied, for the scriptures say, do not speak evil of anyone who rules over you. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were all my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So a great clamor arose. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up to argue that Paul was right. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. The shouting grew louder and louder, and the men were tugging Paul from both sides, pulling him this way and that. Finally, the commander, fearing that they would tear him apart, ordered his soldiers to take him away from them and bring him back to the fortress. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people waste their time with futile plans? For the kings of the kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry and free ourselves from this slavery. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, my holy city. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The ends of the earth is your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of your pursuits. For his anger can flare up in an instant. But what joy for all who find protection in him. Proverbs 18, 13. What a shame, what folly to give advice before listening to the facts. And to end today, I wanted to share with you, we heard last time about King Josiah returning to the Lord and calling his people into repentance. And um, just today being Independence Day, I wanted to share with you a writing uh, from, again, it's a proclamation given in 1863 and during the, in the middle of the Civil War. And although we're not in the Civil War, we are in a country that is divided. And I just feel like these words could be written today. So it says, by the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by a resolution requested the President to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, the assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heavens, of, the, of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. In talks unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this my proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship in their respective homes, in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly 
in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. And again, that was written by Abraham Lincoln in 1863. And I think we have the same call today. So I pray that we would spend our day today praising the Lord for the freedoms that we enjoy and also committing ourselves, myself among the most repentant in this of not um, raising up our country in prayer before the Lord. So have a wonderful day. Love you all.